Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1254 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Make it your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is myself and Glenn Willis, once again, of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn has been gracious enough to join me for a lot of different episodes in the last couple of weeks. And shout out to Glenn for that. Today's episode is myself and Glenn talking about Bogdan Madanovic, talking about all of what he did last year, the future for him, his role, sort of the player capsule series continuation for us we talked about a Kongwu in recent days we talked about john collins and gallinari and deandre hunter and all kinds of players up and down the roster so those are just all available in the feed right now as well as nba draft coverage by the way as i record this the nba draft is 16 days away 16 days i've talked to andrew kelly about the draft I've talked to ben pfeiffer about the draft i have much more coming up in the future about the draft ricky o'donnell's joining me on the podcast about the draft as well Wall-to-wall coverage coming more this week even about the draft in the near future. So please subscribe to the podcast and remember that that's coming up very soon. A big day for everyone in the league, not only the Hawks, but a lot of trades will happen in the next couple of weeks as well. So a big time of the year in the NBA circles, even with a lot of teams. Of course, you know, 28 of the 30 teams not, not still playing right now, but still plenty to talk about on the podcast and beyond. Okay, with that all out of the way, one more time, please subscribe to the show. And after a break for the intro, it'll be myself and Glenn talking about Bogdanovich. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined once again by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, who is here to discuss with me today, Bogdan Magdanovich. Glenn, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, Brad. How you doing? I'm living the dream. Uh, we're recording these, stacking them up, and you've been gracious enough to give me a bunch of time. So I'm not even sure when this is going to run, but these uh, these generally hold, barring something crazy happening in the offseason for a little while. So I do appreciate you giving me all of this time. But Bogey's an interesting guy. Uh, we'll spend this whole show on Bogey. And uh, I feel like in some ways he's almost the most anonymous of the quote-unquote core guys for the Hawks in some respect because – you know, he got his money, but it was a couple years ago now. They, uh, you know, they famously just signed Herder to an extension. Hunter gets a lot of attention. Collins, for obvious reasons, Capella to Kongwu. And then there's, there's then there's Bogey, who's just this veteran, solid player across the board in a lot of different ways, has some high upside, et cetera. But uh, he'll be 30 in August. That's an interesting jumping off point for him. He's not old, but he's not, he's not the youngest guy in the world either for someone who came over to the league pretty late uh i guess we're, as we kind of always do on these uh where does your mind take you when i mentioned bogdanovich and then we can sort of dive in from there i think just a really reliable and and talented guy who can do enough things that fits well with what they need from the wing position you know um i i feel like he's one of the elite shooters in the league i think he takes some tough shots sometimes and that uh sometimes um affects his percentages um, and, and that sometimes maybe people who don't watch him a lot don't realize like how many how many tough shots he puts up. Um, I I mean, if you ask me, like, is he one of the best twenty shooters in the league? I'd, I'm comfortable saying that. I, I, if you said fifteen, I'm like, okay, I'd have to sit down and make a list now, and I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but he's he's came to the league so experienced because always the international play. He's versatile because he can play do things on the ball and off the ball. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he just does a lot of advanced things that the Hawks younger wings who are, who are still kind of, uh, in a development phase, even if they're, you know, getting further into that kind of that trajectory, if you will, uh, he's, he's a guy that right now you throw him out there and you, I think you 
pretty much know what you're going to get. A- any player, the sh- shots are going to fall or not fall game to game, you know, and things like that. But in my mind, like he is the one wing that when he's put on the court, um, I feel like I know what I want to get from him. Hunter this year was like anybody's guess kind of, you know, game, <laughs> yeah. game to game Herder, you know, kind of waiting for a few areas where some growth could happen. Bogey, I felt like kind of kind of gave you the predictable bogey, uh, pretty reliable across the whole season, and that's that's pretty valuable. For sure, I, I totally agree. He is very projectable in a lot of ways. You know, one of the sort of broad pivot points or points of discussion on Bogdanovich is the fact that uh, he's kind of worn down the last two years. He had he's had some injury stuff. The knee has been barking on him. In fact, there was a report recently that his knee is still bugging him in the offseason. Eurobasket's in danger and all this stuff. We don't really know if there's a surgery in the offing or anything like that, but his knee has been um, a persistent problem in the last couple of seasons. He did play only 44 games two years ago. Did play 63 games this year. Uh, did miss a playoff game, though. Was clearly not himself by the end of the year, along with a lot of other guys on the Hawks roster. So that, that is a question mark. He is he is paid um, like a starting caliber wing, $18 million for next year, and then $18 million player option for the year after that. So, like, it's not a situation where you're looking forward-facing on McDonough. He's kind of, along with Capella, those two guys are like their current, you know, in their prime or late prime guys, you know, Gallo's obviously post prime at this point, and Trey, of course, is on another trajectory going up. But um, Capella and, and Bogey are kind of the guys who are just already there, and you know what they're going to get out of those guys for the most part. They are good players, but uh, you know, I think Bogey has been a topic of conversation in terms of the trade market, all that stuff, just because he has just kind of been around for a while. And I forgot this even, so I looked it up today when we were talking before we started talking. He was drafted in 2014. He didn't come over until 2017, 2018, uh, as a lot of guys don't. But he spent, you know, an extra, what, three seasons overseas before he came over, despite being drafted in the first round by the Kings and then kind of languished, kind of languished there. But uh, a lot to sort of break down about him. But we can start on offense because of, you kind of talked about his shooting. That is a real clear strength of his, perhaps his number one strength at this point in time. Uh, he's kind of always been an underrated playmaker to me, dating back to the Kings, but not a guy who's going to be a primary, just kind of a, a solid enough guy, passes the ball, handles the ball a little bit well. But as a shooter, he's made a jump. I will say, we can go off, we can go from here. It does feel like uh, the second half in particular, but really all of two seasons ago was probably the outlier season when he shot 44% from three and uh, just kind of went crazy in a way that um, we did kind of, more people was not necessarily going to be repeatable. Um, and he went back down to 37% this year. But as you said, that 37% from three comes on a difficult shot diet. So he's a really, really good shooter. Um, you could certainly argue he's still their best shooter. You know, Herter and Trey obviously have different strengths as well, but he is on the short list of their best shooters. Um, I mean, what where else where else do we go about his offense? Just because like his efficiency was down this year, but his, his rebounding was up a little bit, assists were kind of flat. Um, did you see? Did you see sort of the same player this year? Just a few, a few less shots going in, or was there any drop off for you? Uh, what, what did you kind of see on offense? Yeah, I, I thought what was mostly different this year was he was, especially later in the season, he was more aggressive driving the basketball. And you know, I as I think um, when we're being smart, we, we, what we'll sometimes do is go see if the stats kind of match what we thought we were seeing, <laughs> kind of with our eyes. And he averaged on drives 1.14 points per per shooting possession, um, which is a a great result there, um, and had had 54 assists on those drives and a pretty low turnover um, rate. So I've been talking a lot, um, even some with you, about how the Hawks need wings that are more capable drivers. And I felt like, you know, that's not what you think of when you think of Bogey, you know, in terms of like what his strengths are. 
but he somehow kind of gave them more of that this year in the absence of Hunter being really any good at it. And then Herter, you know, the things that always holds him back is kind of the, the contact and, and the free throw rate and all that sort of stuff. So just his, his aggressiveness was a differentiator this year. And, and when I think about his aggressiveness, I think back to the prior season, like there were several playoff games. One I remember in particular where they were dead against the Sixers, Sixers and he like single handedly shot them back yep. into a game that they won. And I, I don't think anybody else on the roster does that. You know, he's willing to take those shots. He's willing to, um, you know, shoot those with confidence regardless of pressure and situation and and you know and i know that as you know travis flank has talked about you know some aggressive changes and things like that a lot of people think well bogey might be the one going out that's where i like i could see that making sense in some scenarios but you know one of those kind of be careful what you ask for because he is um and he, he's he does this international play he did this in sacramento even though there weren't a, a ton of close games there um I, but it just so happens that my in-laws live in Sacramento. So I saw him play a lot in his pre-Hawks era. Um, I saw visiting down there and stuff, but yeah, just his, like the thing that jumps out to me uh, is the driving You know, he did this year, which I thought was, I don't know how repeatable that is. Uh, I felt like he's like, just noticed like no others aren't doing it. So I've got to do what I can. And then just his willingness to take hard shots in crunch time when they're trying to play from behind um, and how good he is at shooting to his normal baseline, even under pressure uh, in, in the high leverage situations is something that is critical for a team building around Trey, especially considering how much attention Trey gets, especially late, late in close games. We'll have more in a moment with myself and Glenn, but first a word from our friends at Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option this year, the best option possible is the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so easy to use. That's part of the appeal of Prize Picks. All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over/under on their projections. One of ten times on the entry, it's just you guys to project the numbers, which makes it very easy to do. It's just a minute or less to do an entire entry. It's just that easy and timely. Prize Picks is also safe. They have fast withdrawals from the service as well, and they have props on almost anything you can think of in the basketball world. That includes. Points, rebounds, assists, even steals. They have mixed sports entries as well. If you're in MMA or soccer or baseball or hockey, pair it all together to use those skills at the very same time. And for a limited time, there's no brainer of an offer for Prize Picks. It's exclusive for all of our users. It's actually really easy to do as well. All you have to do is use the promo code NBA. If you do that, $50 for free. If your player in your first entry scores even a single point on Prize Picks. One more time, it's exclusively for Locked On fans. If you use the promo code NBA and your player scores even a single point, $50 for free on your first entry using the promo code NBA. Single point, that's all you have to have, and $50 for free if you do all those things at Prize Picks. Check it out today on the app, and uh, all that is all available in one place at Prize Picks. Your point about his rim pressure or you know the ability to drive is a good one you know he's not someone that gets to all the way to the rim a lot um 15 of his shots according to cleaning glass at the rim this year it's a very low number but uh that's still higher than guys like herder for instance um and it really does sort of get lost sometimes and maybe that's part, partially my fault um how aggressive he is in hunting his shot he you know aside from trey of course he is by far their most aggressive shot hunter like he and that and that's part of his role and they want him to do that they've, they've encouraged him to do that i'm glad you pointed out the playoff games and even in, of course famously in that run second half of last season when he, he, he just couldn't miss a shot basically there were lots of halves or even full games where he just kind of put them on his back and not like he was taking a step ahead of trey but he was the only guy on the roster kind of capable of carrying the offense for a half 
Like he's really capable of doing that if he's got it going. Um, he's taken more than 12 threes per, per 100 possessions the last three seasons. He really does get them up quickly. He's got a good release, quick release. He can, he can shoot it from deep, et cetera. He did, he did, as he did from three this year, take a little bit of a step back in terms of his efficiency from long two, but he's still a really good, uh, like non rim shooter. I think it was, yeah, 48% the last two seasons on non rim attempts from inside the inside three point line. That's a really good number. Like, star, like, you know, Kevin Durant shoots like in the low 50s, and that's like uber, uber elite. Bogey is a very good shooter on, on the mid range as well. Like, he's one of those guys, along with Trey and Herter, that like mid range shots are sort of taboo sometimes. Those are good shots for him when he's open. Like he's really good in that range, um, and like you know, efficiency-wise, him being able to carry a league average or so true shooting mark with his difficulty of shots is huge. And he's also a really good catch and shoot guy. So like offensively, there really is not a lot to pick apart when it comes to Bogdanovich. Um, you know, when he's when he's not quite healthy and bursty enough, you can kind of see that. And of course, you do wish that he was or someone on the roster was more more aptly able to get to the rim a little bit more. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like he's been the guy. If they've had to have someone try to create without Trey, it's kind of it's kind of been him by default. And also, he's comfortable enough doing it, dating back to Sacramento, Europe, etc. Where like he's a tough nosed guy too. That's a huge thing about Bogey is that he he's a vet. He's not like a huge vocal leader, but he's one of those guys that that that's sort of been in, been in the battles that a lot of these guys haven't been in. Yeah, and the other thing I think of with him on offense too is is sort of a, a mirror of what Delon brings them on defense. Like Delon, you know, we've talked about, you know, makes a lot of winning plays, deflections, just uh, always on time with his help and all that stuff. Bogey does a lot of that kind of stuff on offense that I think sometimes goes unnoticed. I, I have to watch the possession a second or third time sometimes to see the effect he's having. You know, just one example comes to mind for me is uh, Trey's game winner in the one game they won against Miami, you know, you know, they got the rebound, chose to not go with a timeout. He was on the right of Trey, and I think it was DeLon that was going right corner. So the next guy down without the ball really needs to be going left corner. And he timed his cut across Trey's face to yep. open up a space for Trey to kind of get to that runner. And, and I mean, without all the experience he's had in Europe and without kind of his heady style of play, I don't know that Herder makes that play. I don't know that Hunter makes that play, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and there's just so many kind of little contributing plays, helpful plays, might say winning plays on offense that in my mind is kind of the, uh, the equivalent of what DeLon gives them on defense. And, and a lot of that helps Trey. When Trey's trapped, I think when, when Bogey's on the floor, Trey feels a little better giving the ball up because he really trusts the, the playmaking. He really trusts kind of Bogey stepping into space on the weak side and, and things like that a little bit more. And, and that's, that's a big deal. I, I, you know, I, in a way, I wish – we could kind of give Trey some truth serum and ask him, like, <laughs> how would you feel about not having Bogey there to help you on possessions like that in, in games where you're getting a ton of pressure, hard head, just traps, whatever it is. I thought from, from the wings that he gave them the most help, gave Trey the most help kind of in that phase too. So sometimes he's, he's off the ball and just kind of stepping into a space to occupy a defender to create some space for Trey. Other times it's what he's doing when Trey gets trapped and things like that. But there's a there's a ton of that that would be missed uh, if he just happened to not be on this team next year. Totally agree. And uh, not this is not a shot at anybody else, but it is very clear when you listen to Trey talk how much he trusts Spokey. That's one of those things for me. And, you know, obviously you watch him during, you watch him during play. It's obvious there as well. But like 
he talks about Bogey a little bit differently than other guys, which is a, in my mind is obviously a positive thing. And he knows Bogey's been through stuff, and he's willing to he's willing to get shots up. He's willing to be aggressive. Bogey doesn't really ever shrink away. Like he may not have the best shooting night sometimes, but he's not going to stop shooting. He's not he's not shy about that stuff. He's very very confident in himself. Plays hard, and uh, that's one of the encouraging things about him. Um, I want to make sure I note this as well. He, he's also a pretty good passer for a wing. Like his assist rate is down. Actually, this last year was a career worst rate, but he's always been, and even this year, been strongly above average for a wing in terms of passing, like assist rate stuff, um, creation stuff. Again, not a huge like live dribble, you know, beat your guy off the dribble kind of guy, but he's a really good passer. And for me, crucially, um, this is one of those Hawks themes across the board. He never turns the ball over. Like it's kind of like it's Gallo. Gallo is the same way. And that's you sort of go player for player. You kind of realize why the Hawks never turned the ball over as a team. And they were number one in the league this year. Uh, Bogey never turns the ball over. And it's one of those little, little, little things. But uh, for a guy, it's not a great ball handler necessarily. You wouldn't think that, but he just is very safe with the ball, very uh, rock solid across the board. And the lineup data, not to go crazy in this, but the offense was you know, unquestionably elite with him on the court this year. They had about a 117 offensive rating with Bogey on the floor, which would have been number one in the league by a lot, basically. Um, and the lineup data, like the two-man lineup, it was all backed up by that. He's actually quite good with the lawn for the record, which is an interesting pairing because those guys played together a lot because they kind of had to have Bogey out there with the lawn at times, going back to what we talked about with him. And uh, one final thing that I, know I mentioned before, but I want to get, get your thoughts on this because it's always discussed uh, – Two seasons in a row, Bogey and Herter have been very good together. And it's interesting because it, it, in theory, defensively in particular, that wouldn't work great. And that's been what, one of the fears is like you put Trey, Herter, and Bogey out there, your defense is not going to be great. But again, the lineup data, they were plus 7.3 per 100 possessions with Herter and Bogey on the court this season. It just works for some reason. I don't know if it's because the offense is just incredible or what, but those those guys seem to make it work as much as uh, nobody seems to notice that. They, they do play very well together eventually. Yeah, they do. And, 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 you know, and ho- hopefully this is not um, too far afield, but I go back to the playoffs last year all over again, because it was Trey Herder bogey for a lot of minutes. That was the in group that, in, the, yep. in that run. And I remember, I remember like, uh, you know, follows I was writing for piece three hoops, like breaking down plays where Herder would lift into a DHO or lift into something like a DHO on the left side of the floor after Trey had given up the ball bogey's down on the baseline herder you know presses the ball towards the middle bogey shoots out to the perimeter and and they had that synchronization down over and over and over and over and i thought they developed a ton of chemistry during that run when it was trey herder bogey now you know uh, that's not to say that that's who should be starting you know right no or or what have you (laughs) but but i but i mean but when when basically the for the last the last what three quarters of the season? I don't know when it happened, but but when they basically it seemed like they asked Bogey to commit to playing off the bench, and he embraced that and and, and was really good uh, in that role. Um, you know, maybe perhaps there was some missed opportunity to to get more minutes with him and Herder on with Trey. Uh, they, I mean, they the prioritization they the prioritization treatment they gave with Hunter is totally makes sense. The number four overall pick, a lot of investment there, that has to happen. But, um, but, you know, look, going forward, you know, assuming that this part of the roster is, is kind of still there when they come back, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how they can kind of drive for that. Because I think that Trey Herter-Bogey had chem- chemistry was profoundly important in the run they made last, the prior season. Um, and then this year, I thought, um, you know, down the stretch, Bogey just physically was was just kind of doing all he could to even kind of make himself available to play in the end. But, but he still had – 
moments. Like in in that game, the game they won against Miami, he had several critical shots. Um, that they were running that action where he would sprint to the corner and Trey would drive off of his corner setup and things like that. And really, no one else on the Hawks could do what Bogey was doing there. So, uh, to kind of summarize that, a ton of chemistry, a ton of good chemistry with him, Trey, and Herder. That's important to kind of, I, I think, to kind of factor into whatever they play plan, uh, plan they have for next season. More to come in a moment with myself and Glenn, but first, it worked from our friends at Built Bar. And if you don't love a chewy chocolate brownie, I'm not really sure why you wouldn't. But what about a caramel brownie with a caramel swirl on top? It's so very good. And what if I told you you have all of that chewy chocolate deliciousness plus 70 grams of protein? You're in luck because the caramel brownie bars at Built Bar are available right now. And you have to act fast because they're actually a huge fan favorite. Forget about dessert. They're actually better than dessert. And the macros are unreal. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. I replaced the regular brownie with, with Bill's Caramel Brownie Bar in a heartbeat. And the best part is it's covered 100% real chocolate, like for real, 100% real chocolate. That's an amazing little feature of Built Bar. And with Built, you don't have to actually sacrifice taste for health. You can actually have both in one place. And all Built Bars have um, collagen protein, which your body can absorb more efficiently. And they provide a ton of health benefits as a result of that. And there are many reasons why you should try Built Bars. But for now, let's just say Caramel Brownie will rock your world. It's not just an understatement. It's really true. And with Built, Tasty is now the new healthy. Go to Built.com to get your first box of Caramel Brownie Bars now. And Built.com has everything you possibly need even beyond that. Use the promo code LOCK15 when you get there. 15% off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. In terms of how to make it all work, clearly we could, I'm trying not to make these like trade discussion podcasts. It's really about the players, but it'll be really interesting to see how they handle all of it. In part, because I do think, as I want to ask you this, um, Bowie's defense has slipped. I believe that's pretty clearly true. Um, maybe that's more like a foot speed thing. Maybe that's a, that's a knee thing or whatever, but um, I, I think it, I noticed it a, a lot this season at times that he's not quite the same guy defensively. Now he is, as we can get into more, um, he is big and physical. That's one of the things about bogey is that he, especially for a shooting guard is very stout, very powerful, um, but not the quickest guy in the world in terms of sliding, sliding, standing in front of guys, et cetera. Good rebounder for the most part at the two actually has good hands. Um, you know, other than DeLon, basically, he was their most active, you know, deflection steel guy once Reddish was gone. Um, that's sort of a low bar to clear, <laughs> to be honest. But he was at least he's someone who's like a league average or better steel rate guy for a shooting guard. But I wonder what you saw defensively, because clearly he probably isn't going to get better as he gets older. Most guys don't once they, once they cross a certain threshold and him being 30 with a lot of miles on his tires. And again, those European seasons are not like non-seasons you might look at his basketball reference page and see a few uh, not that many games but that's a lot of miles he had as a, he was a pro for a long time before he came over he's an, he's maybe not an old 30 but he's not a young 30 either if that makes sense so um i wonder what you make of his defense overall because the metrics didn't love it this year um going through that which i kind of agree with to be honest with you but i wonder what you saw yeah it, it was interesting I, I feel like i saw the same thing he i mean like it seemed like everyone else on the team he had trouble at the point of attack he had trouble keeping the ball handler in front of him. Um, not a surprise. I mean, it's right to kind of kind of contemplate how much of that was his um, athleticism kind of limitation. How much was that was the knee? It's, it's hard to know. And then, you know, I'll, I'll circle back to the defense some more. But I mean, one major thing for me is with a full offseason for the first time and, you know, go, heading into this third season, like how do front offices kind of change their the way they project what they feel like they can get out of players because it's, you know, it was a pretty short off seasons the last two years there. 
Um, uh, especially so that, especially it, last year after the run, like the Hawks, and that, and that we didn't so, do a lot on that, but like the fact that the Hawks had to come off of that long run into a short off season, uh, nobody had time and all those guys were hurt. And obviously Bogey had a late start, which we should at least mention. Like he was one of the guys that was hurt at the beginning of the season, which is notable. Right. Right. And he played a ton in that run. Like yep. in the, in play, he played an absolute ton there and stuff. So for me, I, I mean, he's a guy that I would never kind of pencil in to be one of the guys I want to have at the point of attack a lot to have on ball, you know, depending on ball. Um, the Where I think things kind of went better for him, and you kind of touched on it, was with the G- Collins and, uh, injury and then even Gallo missing some time late. When they slid Hunter to the four, you play two guards and kind of bogey at the three. That when, when he slides up to a bigger position, I think he's more suited, better suited to – hold up well there like you mentioned he's strong and when you think about like the limitation he has like he's pretty awful kind of changing direction you know he's <laughs> yeah. a straight he, you know he's pretty he's okay straight line you know yeah and, and things like that um and then when you think about the kind of uh athlete he is and the kind of way he moves on the floor he's a very kind of um up and you know he's very up and down you, you don't see Upright. him kind of get a yeah. wide wide, you know, wide stance and and things like that and that's just the body type that he has you know it's kind of uh, everything's kind of real center for him and stuff. And I think that's what makes it hard to kind of get his, you know, change of direction and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how the Hawks approach the roster from kind of going back to treating their twos and threes kind of all the same and not treating Hunter maybe as a four or do they, do they build for more small lineups? Cause I feel like in small lineups, he can slide up and be more helpful there and kind of unlock some of that. And then even when you have him playing at the three, sometimes even in the down the stretch, he played some four on defense when it was him and Hunter, and Hunter would slide yep. over to the point guard or what have you. And he and depending on the matchup, I think he's okay, you know, kind of in, in that kind of situation. And to your point, he he's always willing to try to help rebound, even if it doesn't always go perfectly. Um, when the Hawks, you know, obviously are trying to get four rebounders on every defensive possession, touching the paint when the ball is coming off the rim. He was like the one – um of the wings that was like most consistently there showing up to help that so you know that that's what i see is the hawks have to find a way to put more defensive talent on this roster heading into the next season and that new talent whatever it looks like and however they get it has to be more viable at the point of attack and defending ball handlers bogey is not ever going to be well suited to do that but there are a lot of other things he can do if you have the lineup construction situated so that he's in the right role on most possessions. Yeah, I think that's a good point overall. And, you know, he really is more of a three on defense in general at this point, just because of his physicality. He's not going to be a speedy guy, and you have to play matchups with him. Um, I actually thought he was underrated defensively when he arrived from Sacramento. I thought there was this notion out there, maybe it's just because he's a European wing or whatever, that he was a bad defender. And I think he was – more like average, maybe even a little bit better than that. I think he's taking a step below average now, if I had to say, and the metrics kind of agree with that statement, but he's not, he's not terrible either. There are matchups where he's bad. Like obviously you mentioned like his lack of uh side to side and the fact that he just hit, if he's, if he's trying to guard someone quick, that's a ball handler. He's probably in some trouble. Um, but in terms of like guarding a wing, um, being physical, knowing, knowing where to be too, it's something I know you and I value a lot. Like he knows how to execute. He'll be in the right place at the right time. He's not, he's not an absentee defender. Like he'll, he'll dial it in. But uh, it is uh, it's notable to me that he has slowed down a little bit there. And I wonder how much they will prioritize uh, that and maybe evaluating his future. I don't really know what to make of that. 
but I, I don't think that it's going to get a whole, a whole lot better. Let's just say, I think you kind of have to project him getting a little bit, you know, at, at 30, uh, maybe a quarter step back every year from this point forward kind of thing. You can't expect him to bounce back too, too much, but the shooting does sort of to bring it all full circle. Uh, you know, the shooting is going to age well. He's a great shooter and that really provides a lot of value on the court. I mean, just to put a pin in it real quickly about like his metric. I know I mentioned the metrics a few times. He was a top like 80 or 90 player in like almost all of the advanced metrics this year in the, in the league, which may not sound like a, like an impressive number, but when you, when you go through the league, there's 30 teams. So right. if a guy is in the top 80, 90, that's a really good player. I know he's making a lot of money, but I think that he's appropriately paid. It's not like Bogey's contract is underwater. Like he's still a totally fine contract for two years and $36 million. Um, that deal was controversial, I guess, at times um, when they made it, but I thought it was a good move when they did it in terms of like getting the value. The Kings should have matched it pretty clearly and they didn't because right. uh, they're the Kings. But uh, I just want to say that like, this is a guy who you need to take like, another, another half step back. He's still a starting caliber player. I know he's not, I know he wasn't starting this year, and I think it's a credit to him. I think you said that as well, that he was willing to accept that role, which made them better this year in my mind. It was the right thing to do in a lot of ways to make sure there was some punch off the bench because they just had nothing there at times. And he willingly did that, especially after the previous year when he said on the record that he wanted to start. He didn't like him off the bench his first year. I think he kind of realizes now what his role needs to be, which is not a 35-minute-a-game starter every night, but certainly a 30-minute-a-game, you know, sixth man or, you know, four starter or whatever you want to say is really valuable. And a lot of teams he'd start for, he, he could start for the Hawks. I mean, it's not like he was he, – he still probably was their best wing in a lot of different ways this year. Offensively, right. certainly the best wing this year. So, Yeah, agreed. And, um, you know, and the, I, I think the contract is absolutely fine, uh, especially from the context of – when you're trying to lure a player away from another organization that you pay a bit of a premium, you know, in the, that yeah, scenario. And, and they really didn't have to, it was kind of a nice, that's why it was kind of, kind of a nice, even if you didn't think the Hawks needed to push their chips in, then that was the big controversy. It's like, do they need to speed up? But like contract wise for a guy on an offer sheet to get a reasonable deal, that never happens. You you, you have to right. overpay usually. And they didn't have to. Yeah, for sure. And when you think about kind of his peers in the league, like, you know, compare him to like the Joe Harris always kind of jumps out at you. Right. Uh, you know, Harris is a better athlete. There's no doubt about that. I think I think the average NBA fan doesn't know. And we'll see how he is after these injuries, but pre-injury. Better defender, better athlete. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, right, for sure. Um, and, and, but then you think about, like, the contract that, like, Duncan Robinson got, right? And Bogey can do so many more things than Duncan Robinson can. Um, and then you, we could kind of keep bouncing around, you know, the league and things like that. But he measures up, I think, really, really well to the other guys who are paid kind of in that range that are in a similar kind of role where they relied on upon for their shooting and a little bit of size on defense uh, and things like that. So I, I don't have any discomfort with the, with the, the contract at all. Um, you know, as we will always say, if a really great trade opportunity kind of presents <laughs> itself, everybody's on the table except Trey, you know, and that has to be the case, but you know, we had the conversation when we talked about John Collins, like don't be too casual about wishing him, you know, into a deal. I have kind of a similar feeling about bogey because I think he does, a ton of things to help them his he you know the, the the word that's overused in europe is he's a professional defender right and you you kind of alluded that he's in the right place he communicates he's connected and all that sort of stuff so and then you know from my vantage point i just think it's really important to to notice like how much trey trusts him and, and that's yeah. that's that's not nothing so um yeah i you know i i, I we could go deeper on defense like <laughs> we, we've talked a little bit like are they going to still switch a ton? And, and that, that, I think that factors into how much bogey fits what you're doing schemas on defense. There's a ton to figure out later on, 
that, sure. that we'll, we maybe we'll explore that when we kind of get closer to the next season. Um, but he's he can help you on defense enough, especially for what he gives on offense. I think that's the way I would kind of summarize what he what he brings in uh, to, to the team. Yeah, you got to put him in a position to succeed, which is basically you want to keep him away from troublesome matchups. But he he can and will execute and use his strength, and uh, he'll compete. And that's uh, it's notable. He's not a he's not a black hole. I think he even if you think he's a below average defender, which I might agree with at this point in time, uh, individually his team stuff does help you, and uh, there's some value in that. Um, to the point about the trade thing, and before we can wrap this up, um, you know, one of the reasons Bogey is a pretty interesting trade fodder candidate is that his contract is very movable and it's in that mid range where you kind of need, especially if you, let's just say, you know, the Hawks are tied to at least loosely tied to some of these like max contract guys, you might need his 18 million to get up there. Like you might, you might have, you might need him or, you know, hers the next tail down from that in terms of like making like 13, 14, 15 million. But contracts that's just part of the deal in the NBA for trades is that you got, you got a match salary and maybe they need that $18 million. Like that came up with the Ben Simmons pursuit. You remember this last year or during the season when they were talking about Ben Simmons, they kind of almost had to have bogey in any deal for Ben Simmons because they needed the money. You had to match Ben Simmons, $35 million contract and you need that $18 million. Right. So that's part of the calculus too, which is not the fun, not, not necessarily the most fun thing in the world because you have to replace what you, what you lose there. But that's part of this too. If they make a big swing move, it doesn't have to be bogey, but, uh, you know, a lot of those deals basically involve either bogey or herder just for money reasons. Right. And then the, depending on position, you know, Capella gets to kind of mix in the mix. Capella or Collins or whoever yeah. else. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, 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 I think it's really unlikely, but if they were trying to get the mix for Zach Levine, like, I don't know how you do that without bogey being in it, you know? And well, yeah, so that's... Okay. Also, just logistically, like, you think the Bulls probably want to get a shooting guard back or someone that can play right. on the wing and score. Exactly. So, yeah. That might make a lot. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. I'm not, I haven't thought about, I mean, I talked about Levine recently on the podcast, but like, that's a great point. Like if you're the bulls and you're trying to have the Hawks, you're trying to, you're not doing the Hawks a favor, but you're, you're trying to triage by losing Levine in this scenario. And uh, if you can get, if you can get bogey plus something else for Levine back, it's not the worst thing in the world for a team that's trying to win. So I don't know, interesting stuff all around, but uh Long story short, Bogey is still a very valuable player. I think he, you know, obviously just didn't shoot it as well this year as he did two years ago, um, which was crazy. I mean, really, I looked at the numbers again today. I'm not sure. I know it was the, the previous season. It is truly wild how well he shot the ball. At the end of the 2020-21 season, he shot 50% from three for like a half season in the NBA. It's just ludicrous stuff. So uh, yeah. that, that, that run will always live on for Bogey, but more realistically was this year, and he was still a really good player. So that's all I got. Yeah. I should have more to add, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, the last, the last thought I feel like I should made on defense is that this is kind of summarizing the whole situation. You put Bogey on the court with other challenged defenders, he's going to look bad. Yep. So you've got to have that line of construction, right? He can be helpful and stuff like that. But if he's on with three negative defenders, he's not going to cover any of that. Up, that's that's a great, know? no, it's a great point because, you know, you can play him with Trey and that's they, those, they probably need to be your two worst defenders when he's playing with Trey. And that, right. I know too many times uh, the Hawks haven't been able to do that. If you got those guys out there with Gallo, those three, fairly combustible at that point in time if it's just trey and uh, trey and bogey those guys have played very well together for two seasons um but you kind of need to triage around those guys and obviously bogey is better than trey don't get me wrong about on, on defense but um that backcourt is going to put you behind the eight ball if you're not pretty good elsewhere 
Absolutely. Yep. So that was the, the last kind of thought I had there. We, we almost hit the 30 minute mark. One we almost did. We're going to no. do it one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we, we can talk about anybody for 45 minutes. I think you and I, Glenn. Uh, well, that's, that, that's all I got on this one. Uh, Glenn, please plug what you have going on in the world. I know we're recording this in late May. It'll be out whenever it's out. Uh, but uh, please plug what you have going on. And I do, I do thank you once again for joining me. Yeah. Yeah. Always fun to, to talk Hawks with you and the NBA and things like that. So we're into draft prospect coverage, piece for cubes. So, you know, follow that there. I'll be contributing uh, to that as we go through um, when we get close to the draft, it'll uh, I'm sure get really noisy. The Hawks are always kind of in the, in the noise and things like yep. that. So we'll, we'll help cover that. And then when we get to July 1st to kind of flip into, you know, the free agency and the moratorium hits and things like that, then we'll, you know, we'll be there too. Uh, you can always uh, listen to me and Kevin, um, who you borrowed, uh, I, th- I think, not too long ago here. I did. T- uh, I did talk to Kevin. Uh, it was a, it was a crossover event for the ages with myself. Yeah, and Kevin. yeah. I haven't listened to that one yet, but um, <laughs> I, I look forward to it. Um, but yeah, Kevin and I, Tail and Twenty Nine podcast, uh, try to stay on top of things over there as well. And if you're not watching on on YouTube uh, at Willis underscore Glenn, can kind of catch me on. Uh, uh, on Twitter for uh, observations right now on the playoffs as they kind of roll through and things like that when we get to the finals. So excited about that. So, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of content kind of coming out uh, over there as well. I do appreciate it, Glenn. Uh, I will say, uh, even with him here, uh, Glenn is a must-follow. If you are not following Glenn already, uh, I learn from Glenn on a, on a regular basis. I'm not just saying that because I would say that if he, if he wasn't here. So check out Glenn's work. Check out Peachtree Hoops. Check out ATL29 because uh, I listen to that podcast as well. And uh, please subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, etc. We'll see you all next time.